Before we dive into scripture, I want to kind of unpack a little bit for you an event that's coming up October 6th through 9th. It's called Infinite Hope, and it's kind of our take on an evangelistic series. We're just going to kind of say what it is. It's, it's our hope and desire that we can provide some hope for our community and unpack a portion of scripture that was kind of the, a pivotal moment in the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he set forward his, his kind of plan for the kingdom of God through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be focusing in on the Beatitudes. What does it mean to live and be poor in spirit and to mourn and to be meek? So we invite you to come out October 6 through 9, 7 p.m. in the evenings, uh, 6 through 8, and then Sabbath morning, October 9, and then also in the evening. And this is, is low-hanging fruit. If you have someone in your family or at your workplace, uh, a friend of yours who you've been looking at, like maybe there's something that Elevate knows or the church does that I could maybe have them be a part of and maybe they can get to know Jesus a little bit more, this is, this is the time. This, this isn't like, oh, maybe the next time it comes around, no, this is the time. So prayerfully consider who you might um, bring out to this. There's going to be messages prepared over the Beatitudes, and then we're also going to have a, a panel that's going to be talking about it, and then you're going to have the opportunity to discuss and dialogue with the people sitting next to you, and uh, we've got some really cool stories and testimonies um, that are in the works for this as well. So hey everyone, this is Kelvin, and welcome to another message from Elevate Retake. Today on the podcast, we've got the latest message entitled, The Way We See. It's another message in the series, Radical Faith on the Life of Elisha. Pastor Michael will be diving into how we see things and what a difference that can make in our life. And the question we'd like for you to ponder as you listen is, how does the way we see change what we see? We'll be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. Hope you have a great time listening. Here's the message. Today we're looking at radical faith. We're continuing the series and we've got two weeks to go. We've got this week and next week and then infinite hope. And we've kind of had to skip forward a little bit in Elisha's story. There's just a plethora of stories that we are not able to focus on. Um, and next week we're going to have an even bigger jump. But there's one story that we could not miss. And that's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 8. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. We had the question asked just a moment ago. How does the way we see change what we see? How does the way we see change what we see? Within psychology and the realm of optical illusions, there's this term called gestalt. Put that up on the screen for you. And it's an organized whole that is perceived as more than the sum of its parts, Right? got gestalt up on the screen for you, and there's different uh, ways that it's shown, whether we're filling in the gap of a a letter that's incomplete, or by proximity to one another, we can kind of make out a shape, or you see that something's continuous, or maybe you spot the tree in the middle of the word A there. But sometimes, having pointed things out and shifting our perspective, or changing the way we see will change what we see. There's uh, a Perhaps uh, to illust- by way of illustration, we could look at the logo of the Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium. And what do you see? Is there a nice tree with some birds flying over top? Or is there a gorilla and a lion staring menacingly at one another? And by the way, can you find the frog? There's a frog in there somewhere. Some fish jumping on the bottom. There's also a Ukrainian artist by the name of Oleg Shupliak. I hope I spelled that right. What do you see in this picture? 
Is there a shepherd tending to some sheep in the middle of a field? Or is there kind of a gruff-faced, mustached man staring off to the right? Or maybe in this next one, are there two birds or one bird? What do you think? Are they leaves? Are they feathers? Only the artist may know. And then this last one, we can look into the face of Jesus but then also perhaps staring at the details of this artistry, begin to point out that Mary and Joseph are there, looking down into the beautiful face of their baby boy Jesus and the light shining down and some animals around them. Perhaps changing the way we see can change what we see. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, remember him, we've been looking at him for the past couple weeks, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicating by the man of God, indicated by the man of God, time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. So it's kind of your average day in the kingdom of Israel. The Aramean army is looking to attack and Elisha would be the one to thwart the attack and tell the king of Israel, hey, The king of of Aram is coming in this place. He's coming in that place. It was really kind of the the Tom and Jerry before Tom and Jerry was a thing, right? Somehow Jerry always has a way to foible Tom's plan and the cat can never seem to get the mouse. This frustrates the king because he's like, man, every every single place that I go, we we can't get a leg ahead. And the story continues in verse 11, 2 Kings chapter 8. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel, When the words you speak, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. So the king gathers everybody around and he's looking everybody in, in the eye. I don't know, when, when you were younger, maybe there was something happened, someone peed in the pool, and you gotta line everybody up and you go down through, it's like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And then the one person that did it, it's like, it wasn't me, but it was. As the king, he's going down the line, he's like, who's, who's the traitor? Who's snitching on me? Because remember, snitches get stitches, right? Come on, guys, what's, what's tell me, tell me. But there's one person in the midst of his his kind of entourage, one of his officers, who scholars don't know for sure because the Bible does not say, but this officer could be Naaman or one of Naaman's successors that is now serving the king. And you remember Naaman from last week who, who was led by God to, in some ways, conquer Israel, but had a change of heart and took God back to the king of Aram. And now this king, is he's got everybody lined up, and he says, who's telling the plans? Who's snitching? Officer says, it's not us, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Now, if we were worried about all the devices that we have in our houses, 
that have microphones and um, tell the government all the things that we say. You know, you're, you're, you want your significant other to get you something and you say that into their phone incessantly when they're not looking, right? This goes even above and beyond that because the God of the universe is present when the king of Aram speaks. And the God of the universe is able to communicate to Elisha, hey, this is what you need to do to help save and preserve the kingdom of Israel. So what does the king do? He says, I've got to go to the source. I've got to go find Elisha. And if I can capture Elisha, then maybe I can do something about Israel. The story continues on in verse 13. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report, and the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Now this is, as I was reading this this week, this is very kind of a comical moment to me. Because the king of Aram now knows that Elisha is the one that's telling the, the king of Israel where to be and where not to be. And the king of Aram thinks, maybe, just maybe, if I can go and capture Elisha, then all of my problems will be taken care of. But think about that for a moment. Elisha is the one that knows where to go and where to be. And the king presumes that he might possibly be able to make it to where Elisha is before Elisha moves on to someplace else. Maybe, just maybe, he can surprise Elisha. We have to pause at this section of verses for just a moment. Because in this story, God has the ability to know what the king of Aram is going to do. And he has the ability to perhaps move Elisha and protect him in this cat and mouse game that they're playing. But we'll see in just a few moments in the story that this does not happen. And I would offer to you today that we even need the cooperation of God to, in any way, act against him. So that we need God's permission even to, to, to try to, to thwart what's going on. That he has to be an active participant in our disobedience to him. What a loving and merciful God that we serve. That even in our disobedience, he still provides space for us to obey him. That he makes space that there's still cooperation going on I like how the uh the modern philosopher and poet Jason Emmanuel Petty also known as propaganda puts it this way in his song lofty it says the very breath that comes from lungs is caused by the fact that God is involved one must begin with the mind that was given to him to even believe he's evolved Think about those words for a moment. The, the same faculties that come up with things that are not God were given to us by God. And that in any action that we take, we need God's cooperation to take a step forward. So the king of Aram surrounds Elisha on the tell of Dothan. He, he, this is located in, in, in Samaria. I've got a picture of it for you that I'll put up on the screen. Uh, it kind of looks like a mesa. It's a little small to see, but that little green hill kind of in the back, that is the Dothan Tell. They've excavated it. The archaeologists agree this is where Elisha was. This is where the city of Dothan was. And Elisha is perhaps up on top of that tell, and the king of Aram is now surrounding him on all sides. Elijah on top, and the king of Aram below. This would have been one of the passes that would get you into the Jezreel Valley. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 15, the story continues on. 
when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And he says, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Imagine waking up early in the morning, sleep kind of still in your eyes and kind of have to do a double take. I remember uh, several summers ago, I was working at summer camp and uh, uh, I worked for the boat staff and there's kind of a rivalry between the boat staff and the swim staff or swim dock and we're kind of going back and forth and we've been pranking pranking each other all summer and I remember we we had devised the prank of all pranks. Somebody had donated a sailboat to the camp, and and we enjoyed taking that out occasionally. We decided, wouldn't it be so great if the boat staff woke up one morning and found the sailboat in the middle of the swim dock? So we woke up super early one morning. We we get the thing around, and we get it inside, and we just kind of mayhem all over. And it was, you know, it's, it's good fun. No destruction of property, no anything. The ranger was helping us do it. And I remember that morning as I was walking to breakfast and seeing uh, the kids come from, from their cabins and they're, they're kind of walking. There's this big hill that you could see down to the swim dock and they're getting towards the cafeteria. There are these kids that were just kind of walking along and they look over the swim dock and they look away and then their heads like snap back. And they kind of have to like rub their eyes like, is that a sailboat in the swim dock? Like what's going on down there? And imagine that's what the, the, the servant of Elisha is experiencing right here because, you know, you go to sleep at night and like everything's good. You wake up the next morning and there's an entire army surrounding you. What a way to wake up, right? Some of you are like, I do that every day. I have to deal with that on a daily basis, like nothing new to me. But then he goes to Elisha. And mind you, this servant has been, it, 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 it's not Gehazi, I, I don't think it might be, but he's not named here. But this servant has likely been with Elisha for a while and has seen the works of God through Elisha. Knowing that God will be their provider and be their answer and be someone who can help them. And he goes to Elisha and says, oh sir, what will we do now? There's no turning to God and asking for protection or salvation. Elisha, it, it's you and me, buddy. What are, what are we going to do. And when faced with insurmountable circumstances, is our focus on what God can do or on what we might be able to do? Servant's focus is not maybe in the right place. And Elisha turns to him in verse 16. And he says some of the most beautiful words that are found all throughout scripture. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. There's something going on here. Elisha knew something that the servant did not. He says, don't be afraid. And imagine the the servant kind of looking out and he's like, Elisha, don't you see these armies? (laughs) Hello? Elisha says, no, 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 no. There are more on our side than are on theirs. And there's this echo throughout scripture and particularly in the book of Psalms. We see it in Psalm uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. I am not afraid of 10,000 armies who surround me on every side. Psalm uh, 27, verse 3. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. In Psalm 34, verse 7. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. That's the God we serve. And that's the God who Elisha knows in that moment is protecting them from the Aramean armies. He says, don't be afraid. We've got way more support on our side than they have on theirs. 
Do not fear. Don't be afraid. And the story continues, verse 17 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he had looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The enemy army had brought chariots not of fire. They had brought horses. But what God had brought were horses and chariots of fire. And imagine in your mind, you've got that Dothan tell pictured in your mind. Elisha and his servant are on the middle on top of it. And the, kings ha- the king is surrounded. They have not ascended the hill yet, but they have surrounded. And Elisha and his servant look out. And the servant sees surrounded on that hillside, protecting them from the army of Aramea, the Lord's army. Chariots of, of fire, horses of fire. His eyes are opened. Perhaps... When we shift the way we see, it changes what we see. That when God opens our eyes, when we take a different perspective at our circumstances, sometimes, like in the Gestalt principle, we can be taken aback by the entire whole picture. But once we look at the details, we see that the picture is made up of these very small details and the fingerprints of God are all over the place. The chariots of fire there to help and protect Elisha. The servant needed a shift in the way that he saw so that he could really see what he was looking at. God was there all along. He just couldn't see it. And I think that that's a a reality that plays out in our lives on a daily basis. We live in this great controversy, as Adventists like to call it the great controversy. Another way to put it would be the cosmic conflict. The idea that there is God and an enemy. And one day, long, long, long ago, the enemy came to God and says, I don't like the way you run things around here. God says, I still love you. I still don't like the way you run things around here. I think I could do it better. And God says, all right. Coming down to earth, this world is brought into deception and darkness and sin, and that lives out in our lives on a daily basis. Sometimes our eyes are open to it, other times they are not. We could stop this story right here, and uh, you know, we could, this would be a great moment, right? The eyes of the servant have been opened. I give you a challenge of like, yeah, head out, on, head out of here and you know, just pray for God to open your eyes and you'll see how God's working on your behalf. And that's well and good, but this story is far from over. There's more that we have to see. It continues in verse 18. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, please make them blind. Just a few verses before, Elisha had been praying for the opening of the eyes of the servant, but now Elisha says, please blind the eyes of the enemy. And so the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Verse 19, then Elisha went out and told them, you have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Imagine the prophet of God has completely dismantled the Aramean army with a simple prayer. God, make them blind. This word for blindness here is only found two other times in Scripture. And it refers not to a physical blindness, but more of a blindness of the soul or a spiritual blindness. Think about when Jesus was able to walk through the crowd as they're about to anoint him as king, crown him as a king, and he's able to slip through the crowd unnoticed. This blindness that is put on this army fools them 
into following Elisha, and he leads them to the city of Samaria. And at this point in time, that's the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. Elisha takes the army of Aramea and without protest, marches them the 10 miles from where they were in Dothan to Samaria. We get inside of the city in verse 20. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And so the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. Talk about that kind of early wake-up call that kind of like, whoa, what's going on here, right? All of a sudden you've been at Dothan and you follow this guy who like, that might be Elisha, but like we're blinded. We'll just kind of follow. Maybe we've, we've found the wrong spot. And your eyes are opened and you're in enemy territory. Not just the enemy territory, but in the capital city of the enemy. And here's how the king of Israel responds in verses 21 and 22. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Imagine, you've got the enemy at your doorstep. You're the king of Israel. They've been hounding you for years, and finally they're within reach. And you go to the prophet, is now the time? And Elisha says, of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. It's an interesting perspective of the kingdom of God. In the interest of national security, the king of Israel was ready to smite the armies of Aramea. And it would have been in Israel's best interest, perhaps, but the prophet tells them, no, throw them a feast. Give them food to eat. Give them wine to drink. Throw them a party. God is in the business here of playing the long game and knows that the destruction of the Aramean army in this particular point in time would not bring about the ultimate good that he was after. Because he's not just after the salvation of Israel, but he's after the salvation of Aramea as well. He's after the heart of those Aramean soldiers and the king, and killing them only serves the short-term goals of Israel. And so the king follows the words of Elisha in verse 23. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. The king prepares a table for his enemies. He makes space for one more. In Israelite culture, you don't eat with your enemy. If you eat with someone who is your enemy, after that meal, they must become friends. It's a very deep, symbolic, and spiritual experience to eat a meal with someone else. Shows that you care and support and that you want to go into deeper relationship with them. The SDA Bible Commentary puts it this way, from enemies, they had been changed to friends. The meal that they had eaten had fed not only their bodies, but their souls. Their bodies had been nourished by physical food, and their souls had been nourished by spiritual food as well. You see, when we shift the way we see, it changes what we do. For the servant on the hill, his eyes had to be opened to see that God was working on his behalf. But for the king, he needed a shift in his perspective that would change the way that he treated his enemy. And the beauty of the gospel is at the prepared table where there's room for one more, where the food has been set out. An enemy can sit down with enemy and become one in relationship 
with one another. The passage was read a few moments ago from Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What if that prepared table is as much for my enemies as it is for me? And that God is creating the space for us to come together where there's not a divide. There's not a a, a space where we're pointing out each other's differences, but we're pointing out our similarities and saying, hey, there's a God that's after your heart too. I want to get to know that experience because there's a God who's after my heart as well. A few years ago, there's a protest in another country in this world. Two sides fighting against one another. And you've seen how the protests in the past few years have played out as two sides almost warring against one another, not peacefully, but wishing harm on the other. And as this one particular protest was waging on, there was a man who found himself in the middle of people who were against him. And it got to the point that those who were against him were surrounding him and punching him and beating him and banging his head into the concrete. There were some others off to the side who were in support of the cause of those who were beating the man, but said, that is not the way we've got to do things. So they rushed in, a group of them, surrounding him, protecting him, and a guy by the name of Patrick Hutchinson reaches down in the midst of the melee, recognizing that this man is in trouble and needs help, picks him up on his shoulders and carries him to safety. And in interviews following this, as they're talking to Patrick and, and, and like what was going through your mind, he says, another death does not help either cause. This man was in need of help and it didn't matter if I disagreed with him or not. His life was not worth it. His life needed to be saved. So he picks him up, takes him to safety. How does the way we see change what we see? How does the way we see shift what we do? See, in the kingdom of God at that prepared table, enemies become friends, outcasts become welcome, the rejected become accepted, and the valueless become valuable. Political sides, once divided, come together in the kingdom of God. And I think it's in keeping of the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew, Jesus will tell the people that are listening to him, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he'll go on and say, Hating your enemy does no good for the ultimate kingdom of God. It may serve short-term goals, but in this moment right now, I'm after their heart. I'm after the long game. And what is diffusing to a toxic situation is kindness and love and mercy and saying, I'm not going to play by the way that you play. I'm going to accept in love. And wrap my arms around you and say, we are children of God. We are made in the image of God. And that is the commonality. That's all that that takes. How does the way we see change what we see? How does the way we see change what we do? When we see the world through God's eyes, when our perspective is shifted, that the table before us is for the reconciliation of the nations, that Jesus laid down his life so that we could all have a seat at that table. That's the kingdom of God. 
That's the mercy and the grace and the justice and the righteousness of God acted out, maybe even on this earth as it is in heaven. Because that kingdom is not some far off thing that one day will float up to heaven and in clouds and harps and just blissfully spend the rest of eternity. No, God says, kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. And I need you even now to prepare the way before me that enemy can love enemy and that you might become friends. That what once divided you would be set aside so that you could find what's similar and rest in assurance that I've come to save you and your enemy. When we ask for God's eyes, it changes what we see and what we do. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. Make sure to stay tuned for the Retake conversation dropping in your feed on Friday this week. We hope you found this message inspiring and you can take it and maybe share it with a friend or family member. Or maybe now you are seeing your life a little bit different. You can find us on Instagram at Elevate Retake. And we'd love for you to leave us a voice message over on the Anchor app. We love connecting with you every way that we possibly can that link in the description. We'll see you next time.